0: About 2,000 years ago, Plato ran his school in Greece, Plato's Academy, and it was right next to an olive grove. Well, long after all the students were gone, the olive trees persisted. In fact, as late as the 1970s, one of those olive trees was still growing. After it was hit by a bus, they put part of it in a museum, but part of it remained. Until, in the middle of the night, Someone chopped it down for firewood. Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo.
1: And now a word from ZipRecruiter, our presenting sponsor. When you're at work, do you ever feel like a fraud? That can be a good sign. Hey there, I'm Ian Siegel, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Being an entrepreneur and owning a business has been a dream of mine since I was a kid, and I've learned a lot of interesting things while turning that dream into a reality. Like, why feeling like a fraud at work could actually be a big opportunity. Stay tuned for that. I founded ZipRecruiter because I knew there was a smarter way for businesses to find talent. Today, companies of all sizes and industries use ZipRecruiter to fill their hiring needs. And if you're hiring now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ziprecruiter.com seth. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. So try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Seth. See you later in the show.
0: I'm fascinated by olive trees. It's a recent fascination. Here are a couple things that I learned. The first one is, if you take an olive pit, even one from an olive right off the tree, you can't use it to grow a good olive tree. Something will grow, but it'll be a feral tree, a wild tree, the way trees were before we figured out how to optimize them for growing olives. All the olives that you've ever eaten come from grafts, one put onto another live tree. It takes a lot of patience. It takes years and years before that work pays off with an olive worth eating. An olive tree can grow For 2,000 years. It turns out that over time, olive trees get more and more productive. Not every year. Sometimes you'll have to wait three, four, or five years for a bumper crop. But it'll come. It'll always come. And not surprisingly, California olives, black olives, are the fake kind. They're not actually black, they're sort of colored, and they're not actually fermented. They're pumped with oxygen and a few other things in solution, to hurry them up. Because after all, that's the California way. That's the modern way. That's the human way. We like to hurry up. We're really quite good at emergencies and at short-term urgencies. What we're terrible at, what human beings are terrible at, is visualizing a future. Anything in the distant future like an olive tree. It's really difficult to think like an olive farmer. When I was a kid, my allowance was 75 cents a week. One day, my dad, in a playful mood, said to me, why don't we change your allowance? I'll give you a penny this year, and then we'll double it every year until I'm not able to pay your allowance anymore. You want to do that deal? Well, that seemed absurd to eight-year-old me. Little did I know that by the time I was 39, my dad would have owed me about $10 million. A penny doubled every year for a month's worth of years adds up to 5 or $10 million. But we're bad at that. We don't see it. So, no, I'll take my 75 cents this week, please. Thank you very much. Here are three topics that people have their eyes glaze over if you bring them up. One is global warming, the inexorable warming of the atmosphere and the melting of the polar ice caps. Number two is evolution, the multi generational shift of species over very long periods of time. And number three is retirement planning. All three of those things are instantly discarded if we're confronted with a one-star review on Yelp or Amazon that we must correct and pay attention to. All of them are ignored if our cell phone starts ringing or if an email comes in.
1: You've got mail.
0: It turns out that managers and politicians and capitalists really like emergencies Because emergencies feel like a matter of life or death. They activate in us fight or flight. They activate in us the urgency to do something right now. And so, if you're playing in any competitive marketplace, there is an incentive for you to move the future to the present, to figure out how to knock on the door, to create that moment, that tension that makes somebody want to act now, as opposed to thoughtfully and carefully act later. I'd like to argue that there are four reasons why that resonated so much with us, and why, in the last 150 years, just about every culture in every corner of the earth has adopted a mindset that tomorrow is too late. But right now, right now is fine. Number one, we're impatient and we want a quick return on our effort. It turns out that it's sort of boring and scary to do some work and wait a year or a decade to have it pay off. We'd rather do something right now and get something back before we even hit return on the keyboard. Number two, we want proof. We're insecure that our effort is going to pay off. We are insecure that the person that we are working with, that the organization we're involved with, is trustworthy. It's worth taking a moment to talk about Ponzi schemes, and particularly the brave Mr. Chemulensky at the Hanover Bank in Boston. Charles Ponzi, 1919, had discovered a little bit of arbitrage that he could buy a special kind of stamp in Europe bring it to the United States, sell it, turn around, use it for postage, and make a handy profit. So he went to his local bank, the Hanover Trust Company, and tried to persuade them to loan him money to do this operation. Well, seeing little in the way of long-term upside, they turned him down. Knowing human nature, Charles Ponzi went to the public, to 18 friends, and what he did was simple. He said, loan me some money, I'll go do this transaction, and you'll get your money back. Not in a year or five years, but in 30 or 45 days. And he did. He paid them back. They all told their friends. So more money came in. He was giving people 150% interest or more on the money that they were loaning him. Money in, money out. It grew from 18 people to hundreds of people to thousands of people. At its peak, Charles Ponzi was making a million dollars a day in people racing to put money into something that they didn't understand. Even a little bit of homework would have helped them see that Ponzi would have needed to buy enough stamps to fill the Titanic many times over in order to be doing what he said he was doing but it didn't matter, because in the short run, he was paying them off. By July, Ponzi started to show signs of trouble. Different people had filed complaints. People had hinted in the newspaper that all wasn't on the up and up. He sued one of the reporters for libel, because in the short run, it's easier to not write about the problem than it is to go to court. And then in July, Just as the whole thing was going to fall apart, the Boston Post wrote a favorable article about Ponzi. Why? Because a favorable article about making a lot of money in a short period of time is a great way to sell newspapers. This led to a whole new wave of investors, in quotation marks, who could give Ponzi the money he needed to pay off the last wave of investors. And around and around and around it goes. As it always does when short-term greed runs into long-term reality, the whole thing fell apart. Ponzi went to jail on a federal charge. He got out and, to his surprise, was arrested on a state charge for some of the same activities. When he finally got out of jail in Massachusetts, what did he do? He moved to Florida and he did it again, this time with land. swampland, land, underwater land, worthless land. And we can laugh and chortle and 100 years later say, what kind of idiot would fall for a Ponzi scheme? Well, the fact is, in 2018, using ICOs, an instrument that almost nobody understands, that's vaguely related to Bitcoin, two entrepreneurs, in quotes, okay, fraudsters, ran a Ponzi scheme and absconded with $650 million. We're always looking for the short run. Ponzi schemes work because as Ponzi himself discovered, if you give people money more quickly than they expect, they will trust you a lot the next time. Number three is that we want excitement. We've been brainwashed into wanting excitement. That when P.T. Barnum showed up in town with his pitch, we bought it because it was exciting. Back to the idea of the grand opening. Excitement, safe excitement, turns us on, gets our attention, gets us to buzz, gets us to talk. It changes the culture. Whereas the long-term stuff, sort of boring. And the last one is it creates a ratchet. All three of these create a ratchet. Because once they sold the farmer, once they sold the worker on the idea that a year was too long to wait, you could get it in two weeks. Then competitively, the alternative had to be something that showed up in a week, and then five days, and then two days, and then right now.
1: Dick, Doc, it's a deal with Dave, Dick, and Dave. Don, it's a Doc with Dick, Dave, and Doug. Gotta go, Dave, disconnecting. Gotta go, Dick, disconnecting. Gotta go, Dan, disconnecting. Federal Express. <laughs> but it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight.
0: And over time, what's happened is we've all become hooked on the adrenaline of the buzzer. Two useful lessons to share based on the adventures of Charles Ponzi and Bernie Madoff and the ICO charlatans and every other scam or short-term thinking pothole that has come before. The first one is this. If you want to change the behavior of a group of people, move all the stimulus forward. Make it now, not later. Make it urgent, not important. Make it painful and expensive in the moment when you want to stop someone from doing something. Make it lucrative and fun when you want them to pay attention. This is what marketers do to us all the time. When we add all this up and combine it with short-term thinking, what we discover, for example, is that the best way to get people to smoke less is not to teach them that in 60 years they're going to have lung cancer and die a horrible, painful death. No. The best two ways there are to cut smoking are, one, make sure that cigarettes aren't sold in places that are easy to get to, like drugstores, and two, put a tax on cigarettes. The idea behind the cigarette tax is simple. You charge lots of people a tax today, so that very few people end up with lung cancer 40 years from now. Yes, that's the first thing. Human beings are really bad at the long run. If you want people to take action, you've got to compress it forward. But what's the other thing? Let's begin with this. The blue whale, the giant blue whale. What's its nearest relative, its nearest non-whale relative? After all, it's a mammal. Turns out the whale is closely related to the hippo and a certain kind of pig as well. How did that happen? Because, of course, all creatures started in the water millions of years ago. Some evolved to go out onto land. Some of those evolved to have four legs. Some of those evolved to become the hippo. But then some hippos started succeeding by spending more time back in the water, and some of those lines evolved to become the whale. That takes a really long time. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Eighty years ago, on the planet Krypton, the brilliant scientist Jor-El understood that the planet wasn't going to last very long. So he went to the people in authority and trying to use top-down reasoning asked people to look at the long run so they could take their kids, Kal-El and the others, and save everyone. But of course, it didn't work. And that's how we ended up with Superman. Jor-El might have been a brilliant scientist, but he wasn't a very good marketer because he was trying to sell the long run to people who were ready to listen to the short run. The alternative, of course, was to sell people something That would have begun a process moving things in the direction that they needed to go. Because like the people on Earth, the folks on Krypton are pretty much like people. And they care about what's important today. And they want a story that matches their urgencies. That's the opportunity that marketers have. To build institutions that will evolve over time. That can take the long-term view, and use that long-term view to help people who don't care enough and aren't focused enough hear what needs to be heard. So yes, we need to get a lot better, each of us, at leveling up, at being professional, and not getting tricked by Charles Ponzi, at disciplining ourselves to be the long-term agents of change we're capable of being but we also need to figure out when it's important enough how to build resilient organizations with a mission that goes further out than a week. Our mission statement can't be about market share. It needs to be about the work that matters. And each of us is capable of doing it. There's a significant advantage to being willing to take a long time to inexorably evolve bit by bit, day by day, to deal with the long run. We are capable of building a system, a system like a company. Consider something like Starbucks, which started with just a couple stores that didn't even sell hot coffee, but it evolved bit by bit by bit. And almost nobody who worked at Starbucks in those early days still works there now. That evolution happens in our culture all the time, and it tends to happen when a system, an organization, a religion, a structure, is organized for the long haul. Our opportunity, as people who seek to change the culture, is to figure out how to build processes, algorithms, systems, methods, To create this forward motion, drip by drip, step by step. That's how venture capitalists make all their money. Not with some short-term flipping strategy, but by betting on technologies that are going to get better and more powerful every day. By looking for things like the network effect, a positive ratchet, day after day, getting ever more powerful. If we're going to make significant changes to our culture, changes that we care about, One thing we can do is, as individuals, level up and become professional. Discipline ourselves to turn off the phone, not for 30 minutes at a time, but for five hours at a time, to force ourselves to learn about our decision-making errors and get better at the long run. And that's fine, and I encourage you to explore that. But the real shifts are happening behind the scenes. They're happening in organizations that are built for the long haul, that measure the right things, that evolve in a certain direction, drip by drip, day by day. It's a seed we will plant that will grow 20 or 50 or 150 years from now. That work, that work is more important than it has ever been. And if we let it, it can be gratifying as well. In a minute, We'll be back to answer your questions from last episode, but first, here's a message from our
1: presenting sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Hi again, this is Ian Siegel, CEO and co-founder of ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. When I was 22 years old, I was put in charge of a 40-person technology team, and to set the stage for you, I had no computer science degree and no prior management experience. I didn't feel like a fraud, I knew I was a fraud. With nothing else to go on, every day, I went to the team and said, tell me exactly what you want me to do. At one point, after this had gone on for a couple months, I apologized to the team for not knowing how to do the job. They told me I was the best manager they ever had. Why? Because I listened. That's the importance of listening. I hope you found it helpful. Here's something else that may be helpful. If you're hiring, you can try ZipRecruiter for free today. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's top job boards, so great candidates have a lot of different ways to find your job. To get started, go to ZipRecruiter.com Seth. That's ZipRecruiter.com Seth. Try it out, see how it feels, and experience how simple hiring can be. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. If you've got a question about this episode, just visit akimbo.link and press the appropriate button.
0: Every week, thousands of people visit akimbo.link. The show pages are jammed with videos, asides, and other interesting trivia. Hope
1: you'll check it out. Hey Seth, it's Maria. Hey Seth, my name's Kyle. Greetings, Seth. This is Stephen out in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi Seth, Alicia from Charleston here. Hi Seth, this is Anupam. Hi, this is Caitlin. Hi Seth, warm greetings from Curacao. Hey Seth, my name is Nick Ryan from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey Seth, this is Rex. Hey Seth, hi, this is Vasilis from Greece. Hi, this is Roberta Perry. My question is... And that completes my question. My name is Jim Snyder. I'm a high school teacher in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I work with high school students who, for one reason or another, have lost touch with their inner genius. Any suggestions for a set of exercises to help them reconnect?
0: Consider the typical day in the typical school. Of those six or seven hours that the student is at school, How many minutes are spent on compliance? How many minutes are spent on doing what you're told? Then let's look at how much time is spent on finding the right answer. Minute by minute, compliance, the right answer. Getting a good grade, fitting in, doing what you're told. Of the 400 minutes that someone is going to spend in school, 300 minutes that someone's going to spend in school today, how much time are they spending on those two tasks? I think if we're honest, in the typical school, we'd have to agree it's between 90 and 95% of the time. The rest of the time, perhaps the student is left alone to daydream, to think bigger thoughts, to come up with something new, but rarely. Leadership and relevant to the last podcast, genius and active genius isn't about that. It's about solving interesting problems. We rarely give our kids a chance to solve an interesting problem. We'd prefer to give them a problem where we already know the answer. Because the purpose of giving them the problem isn't to develop their creativity, their insight, their ability to lead. The purpose is to gain compliance, predictability, to produce compliant workers who will do what they are told for years to come. So the answer to your question, I think, is that we need to figure out how to give students the chance to solve problems that they are probably going to be unable to solve. Not because they're too hard, but because there is no answer. There's merely an attempt, and then another attempt, that we can train our kids or ourselves to get comfortable with the idea that we can be uncomfortable, to be okay with the thought that we can write something down that isn't the right answer. So how do we teach somebody to write something original? How do we teach them to work at figuring out an advanced math theorem that has never been solved and might never be solved? How do we help them pathfind because pathfinding is the task that is in highest demand right now. Pathfinding says we're lost, not completely lost, just a little lost. We're not exactly sure where we want to go. We're not exactly sure how to get there. Does anyone want to help us find a way? And if we can help kids, 6-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, develop the instinct to be comfortable doing things that feel uncomfortable, then we develop the ability to act, at least for a little bit, like a genius. Thanks for sending in your questions. I look forward to getting your questions about the current episode. Just visit akimbo.link and click the appropriate button.
1: People are talking
0: about the marketing seminar.
1: I was completely blown away. It is incredibly comprehensive. Crazy, crazy, crazy crazy useful. It's it's easily worth five times what I paid for the course. The content in the class was awesome. What I learned, I actually could apply immediately and get results. I thought it's going to be kind of an automated course. And the big shock is the cohort. I have never felt more supported in any online program I've done. And that actually changed the way we talk about the project. It changed the way we promote it on our website. I use it in other projects. A way to really evaluate it and to apply it that I have never experienced anywhere else. It's so much more than just a marketing seminar.
0: Find out more at themarketingseminar.com.